much. Uh, we have come now to the last uh, series of uh, sermons uh, from the Epistle of John. So if you have been following us when we started First uh, John until now, well done. But if you have missed uh, some of the sermons, please feel free to just visit arpc.sg and uh, catch up on the sermons that you have missed. Uh, Third John is, um, happens to be the shortest letter in the New Testament. That is, if it is read in Greek, in the original language in which it was written. Now, letters uh, in the New Testament um, were written mostly by Paul, others by Peter, James, John. They were always written in response to an occasion. You can close the slide for now. They were always written in response to an occasion. So the limited resources in those days did not allow letters to be written and sent for no important purposes. They did not have junk mail as we do today. Uh, paper and ink were expensive, not to mention career costs. They did not have cheap public postal services or email and the likes that we do today. And so in those days, to deliver a letter, a personal courier is usually sent. It is somehow hand-carried. The letter of 3 John was written and sent because there was trouble in one house church. But trouble, my friends, is not always something negative. And let me tell you why. Now, 3 John was personally written to uh, the beloved Gaius. So what can we be known about Gaius? Was that his name, firstly, is actually a common name at that time. Now, if you scan the New Testament, you will discover that there are other Gaiuses in the New Testament. And some have suggested that they were perhaps named after Gaius Caesar, who is the uh, grandson of the Roman Emperor Augustus. Now, because parents usually name their children after the celebrity of the times. That's why today, if you tell me your child's name, I'll probably be able to guess around which year he was born. Many parents still do that today. They name their child after a celebrity of the time. John starts his letter addressing Gaius as beloved. Beloved. Now, one could say that Gaius was probably a dear friend, because NIV translates dear friend, or possibly it was John's style of writing, as we have seen in 1 John, where he would usually say, Beloved, beloved. So John begins, first slide comes up. Verses 1 to 4, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So having heard of Gaius' walk in truth, the elder responds with joy and prays that all will be well with him. Now, the phrase walking in the truth is of significance here because in the context of false teachings going around, as we have read in, in 1 John, John is heartened to find believers who did not join the false teachers who have left the church. Because false teachers, they do not speak the truth, they do not preach the truth, 
they do not practice the truth. But to those who hung on, to those who stuck to the apostles' teachings, they have the truth. They know the truth. And they walk the truth. Gaius is one such person. He was one who has heard the truth of the gospel, believed in it wholeheartedly to the result that he was living the kind of life that showed that the truth was in him. So you can say that he lived the truth in such obvious ways, his light shone before others, that his good deeds were no secret, that people were blessed, and so they reported about him to John. So John writes to say that he prays that all will be well with him. He says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, when I was in Bible school, which was many, many years ago, we have been asked to survey many Greek letters written about the same time personal letters, business letters, and the purpose was for us to discover that wishing the addressee, the recipient of the letter, wishing him good health, uh, that all will be well, was actually a wish that was a, a conventional greeting of the times. So you can liken it to our present day saying, you know, trust that all is well with you. And so Given that it was a conventional greeting of many Greek letters in those days, we will do well not to interpret too much out of it. Say something like, oh, Gaius must probably be going through a poor season of health. That's why John wished or prays that all is well with him. We must also be careful not to interpret, as they do in some circles, that God's will is for his people to prosper in all things and enjoy good health. What is important in John's greeting is that he noted Gaius's walking in the truth and that he prays that his health is doing well as his soul is. So John's main concern, turns out, is the inner life. One's inner life that shows that one is abiding in God's truth and living out this truth. This is what gives John great joy. That's why he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John tells Gaius. Now, because he has received reports uh, from returning preachers and returning teachers of Gaius's faithfulness. And so he does not just wish him well, he prays that all will be well with Gaius, that doors open for him, that all things work for him, that his pink is always pink, or rather his health is always pink in color, just as his soul is well, so that he can continue to, do the f to be faithful in what he is doing for the church. Which tells us, friends, that yes, you and I can pray for good health. You and I can pray that circumstances be favorable. That's what we do, don't we? We pray for good health. We pray that all will be well with us. Uh, but we pray, too, that our soul is equally well. That is what's important because our bodies will eventually wear out. 
So there will come a time when you and I will no longer pray that we will be in good health because our bodies will be failing. They are wearing out and our health will be failing. But our prayer should be that our soul will always be well, that we are walking in the truth. And we pray that we will remain healthy, that all will be well, for the purpose that we may continue to be faithful to serve God by serving his people. So, what was Gaius faithful with? Well, he was, I'd like to call it, a faithful trouble taker. What do I mean by that? Gaius always took the trouble to extend hospitality to traveling preachers sent by John. So John wrote, next slide, he says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So the elder John sent preachers to the house church. Now it was said that inns and hotels, although they were in existence in those days, uh, they were not appropriate places for Christians because inns were synonymous to immorality and they posed as a danger for these faithful teachers. And so the Christian practice was for letters of recommendation to be written and carried by these preachers to vouch for their credibility as they seek to be hosted by fellow believers. So Gaius, he was reported to be faithful in being a good host. His hospitality towards traveling preachers and missionaries were actions that showed that he was walking in the truth, that he was loving one another, which was John's uh, favorite command. Hospitality, my friends, was a command frequently mentioned by the apostles. So if you look at the New Testament, the apostle Paul, for example, required that an overseer must be hospitable. He required that widows who are being supported by the church, honored by the church, must practice hospitality. The Apostle Peter, he urged believers to practice hospitality and to do it without, without grumbling. That's what the Apostle Peter says. And even the Hebrews writer also reminded his hearers to entertain strangers, which meant show them hospitality. Why? Because Abraham, their forefather, did so only to realize later that, wow, to his surprise, he was entertaining and showing hospitality to angels. So hospitality, my dear brothers and sisters, is a Christian quality. It is evidence of walking in the truth. And Gaius went through all the trouble to show hospitality to the gospel preachers. He took care of their meals. He uh, made their beds. He gave them even enough pocket money for their journey. And for that, he was highly commended by the Apostle John. And so you read this portion and you ask, what does it tell us? What does it say to me? 
Now, friends, unlike the biblical times when traveling preachers and journeying missionaries rely heavily on the hospitality of believers to provide them food, to provide them lodging, travel expenses, today, my friends, we live at a time when hospitality is conveniently outsourced. You know what I mean, right? We live at a time when there's decent accommodation available at affordable prices. We live at a time when there's public transport available for the convenience of both host and guest. So whenever I travel uh, to preach, for instance, uh, the inviting church would offer hotel accommodations. So I remember one time my family and I even stayed in a presidential suite. So my kids enjoyed it so much, they hoped that dad could preach for many more days because they didn't want to leave the presidential suite. And what about our missionaries? Well, they are members of a mission organization, and they are fully supported by our church that they need not raise financial support. And so the kind of hospitality that we see in John's uh, time, the opportunities to offer such hospitality, they become less and less in our time. Yet, we still can go through the trouble of extending hospitality. So I remember, I will never forget this, when my family and I uh, first arrived in Singapore, we could have taken a cab from the airport, because that's what most Singaporeans do. But Mona took the trouble of fetching us from the airport and drove us around. When our missionaries return home, you may not need to provide them accommodations, but will you host them lunch? Will you host them dinner? And while they are out in the fields, one thing that we can all do, this one thing that we can all do, is that we can provide them prayer support. And so I encourage you to check out the monthly prayer bulletin so that you may know what our missionaries are up to. You know, they're not sitting by the beach, beach uh, 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 sipping piña colada. No, they're doing missions work. And you may want to check out what they are up to so that you and I can pray for them. Secondly, because hospitality is an act of love by which a stranger becomes a guest in one's home, and that guest is provided his or her needs of food and protection, you know what? Many of us, many of us presently have the privilege of extending hospitality. And that is what some of you do when you hire domestic workers working in your homes. Why? Because domestic workers are strangers in a foreign land. Strangers whose family members pray and hope that their care, their protection, uh, their provision will be born and assured by their hosts, which is the employing family. And so if you employ a domestic helper, realize that you are God's appointed host to that foreigner. And as hosts, how would you rate your hospitality? Will the communities and the families of your helper back home praise you for your good treatment? Just like how 
John praised Gaius for the treatment that he had given to John's traveling preachers. Now, I hear from the ladies in Rhoda Fellowship, the ministry that reaches out to uh, Filipino domestic helpers, I hear from them lots of good reports. Most of them, many of them, uh, uh, many of their hosts treated them not as strangers, not even as guests, but family members. So there was one, one employer who flew in the family members of one domestic helper to Singapore so that they can join church camp. And they were so blessed by it. And I had two minds whether to mention this or not, because some employers would say, oh, you just spoiled the market. They would go back home and they would give good reports of how their host treated them. Not as strangers, not as guests, but as family. And yet, I also hear of sad reports that break my heart. Host families that overwork their helpers, host families that deprive them of off days, and worst, hosts that stinge on their food. I hear of inconsiderate hosts who, because they are on a diet, they also expect that their helpers join them on a, for a diet, that their helpers should just also eat salad. And so poor helper has to go buy rice at her own expense because you need carbs, you know, to mop the floor, to clean the house. I hear of hosts who would not set aside food but pass only what is left after the family has eaten. And sometimes what is left is just salmon skin with little rice. I hear of families who would eat out or order in, but none is ordered for the maid. And they say, well, she can help herself with instant noodles. Please be informed that instant noodles was what many of them eat every day back in their third world country because of poverty. And now that they are guests in our first world nation, we should not be feeding them instant noodles. Good and godly hosts will feed their guests well, ensure that they are protected and have comfortable accommodation. How would you rate your hospitality? Thirdly, now that we are still in the topic of hospitality, prayerfully consider practicing hospitality by opening your homes for discipleship groups to meet. Why? Because God did not give you a big home so that you can enjoy it for yourself. God gave you a big home so that you can use it for ministry. A home which you do not ultimately own, but which God owns. A home which God will, in the end, take away from you. And when that happens, the question is, will you be welcome to eternal dwellings? So yes, people say hospitality can be costly. It can be convenient. But that is what love is. Love is not without cost. Love is not convenient. Look to Jesus, who loved us with a very costly love. And he calls us to love one another. 
So the elder Gaius commends, was commended, or rather the elder commends Gaius for extending hospitality to journeying brothers because he went through all the trouble to provide for their needs. Gaius was a trouble taker, praise God. And now John calls his attention to one trouble maker. Next slide. Verses 9 to 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephus was the troublemaker that Gaius should take note of. So what trouble did he cause to the church? Well, John had written a letter to the house church. That letter must contain, must, must be a request to receive traveling preachers as guests. But Diotrephus, who likely was the leader of the house church, perhaps he was even the host, Diotrephus rejected John's authority. He rejected his request to accord hospitality to the brothers. And he did not stop there. Diotrephus maligned John and his team. And he kicked out those who supported John and his team. Now, there have been a, a few interesting suggestions about the nature of conflict uh, between John and Diotrephus. Uh, they're very interesting. That's why I will mention a few of them for you today. Uh, firstly, it was suggested that the conflict between John and Diotrephus was a battle for authority. It was a competition for authority. Diotrephus felt that he was the one supposedly making calls on how to run the church and that the elder should just stay out. Stay out. The elder should just serve uh, uh, as a spiritual and moral leader or advisor. And so, given that case, the elder should not require house churches to support traveling preachers. House churches ought to be independent to decide on their own. And so they say it could have been a battle for authority between Diotrephus and the Apostle John. Second, was a suggestion that Diotrephus was teaching heresy. Because given the context that John opposed false teachers and warned churches of them, Diotrephus could possibly be one of them. I do not think so, and I'll tell you why. Third suggestion, they say that, hey, it's just all a big misunderstanding. And people say, here is the suggested scenario. Because some from the elders' church left and embarked on false teaching. They had traveled and they had arrived to Diotrephus' house church. And Diotrephus censured these teachers. And he also assumed that the elder and his team had become heretics. And so Diotrephus expelled these false teachers and then subsequently denied future entry to the teachers of the truth. And so when the elder heard about it, the elder wrote 3 John to, uh, 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 to Gaius, 
to warn him about Diotrephus. And the elder finally paid a personal visit, and he cleared things up with Diotrephus. And then the elder wrote Second John to tell the rest of the house churches that uh, they are not to allow false teachers to come in and teach. And so this scenario assumes that Third John was written before Second John. Ready for another suggestion? I hope you're not confused. Last suggestion was that given the elders' Second John letter telling the church not to host false teachers who were traveling around, Theotrephus responded by implementing a zero-hosting policy. Like, you know, zero-COVID policy. So what he did was that he closed all doors. He closed all borders to all traveling teachers, whether one is teaching the truth or one is teaching the right, a lie. So you can say it's somehow of an overkill, you know, like closing the IKEA shops and not allow people to go out. Yeah. Now, all these suggestions are interesting, aren't they? However, most are conjectural. And most seem to give Diotrephus more benefit of the doubt than the Apostle John. Furthermore, it is unlikely that Diotrephus sided with the false teachers and promoted their, what do you call them, docetic, Gnostic, or Serinthian teachings. Uh, it's unlikely. Why? Because notice John never described Diotrephus as, the, as an antichrist. He never said that. That was what he called the false teachers. Diotrephus wasn't an antichrist. He had the correct theology. He subscribed to orthodox belief and teachings. But sadly, he was not walking in the truth as seen by his actions. So Diotrephus was not an antichrist, no. But listen, neither was he pro-Christ. He was not an antichrist, but sadly he was not a pro-Christ. Because John says of him, Diotrephus likes to put himself first. The word here is the word preeminence, which means me first, you last. And you can extend preeminence to prominence. Prominence means I make the calls, you don't. And it's not even a shared decision or a shared leadership. Prominence is I get the credit, but not you. No one else. That is what putting oneself first looks like. And so when somebody like the Apostle John seems to rise above Diotrephus, who wants to be first, he will do everything to stop it. From discrediting John, spreading malicious gossips, to disabling him and his team by cutting all supports, by closing all doors to them. The Diotrephuses of today would say, unless I am the man here, unless I am in charge of this work, such work will not proceed, and I will give countless reasons why it shouldn't. You know, my preaching professor once, was once invited to give uh, lectures in a Korean seminary. And one local professor had been asked to serve as his translator. 
But the translator exhibited behavior to show that he was very displeased being assigned as translator and not instructor. He was assigned as second, not the first. Because the teacher will be speaking in English and he will be the second one translating it to, to Korean. And so each time a session is about to start, he gave a lot of trouble to the class. He made the class wait. He made the guest speaker wait for him to arrive. Well, he was just resting in his office while everybody was waiting for him. And at some points during the lecture, this local professor did not just translate. You know what he did? He even added his comments, explained some things that he agreed or disagreed with the lecturer. You see a Diotrephus in him. One who wants to be the first. One who wants the glory. You know, loving to be the first is characteristic of the devil's rebellion. Because it was the devil who would not want his assigned place, but desired to be like the Most High. And you see that in the book of Isaiah. Contrast the devil with our Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us the Lord Jesus, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and then he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so friends, if Jesus, think about it, if Jesus aspired to be first and despised humility, your sins and my sins will not be paid for. It won't be forgiven. But praise God, Jesus chose to be last. And as a result, we are made God's children because of our faith in him. Diotrephus was the troublemaker that John wanted Gaius to take note of so that he would not imitate him. He writes, next slide. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now you have seen Diotrephus, John tells Gaius, and he now says, please do not copy him. Please do not follow his ways. Do not do evil, but do good. Because those who do good belong to God. And then he points him now to a man by the name of Demetrius. Demetrius, he was very likely the carrier of this letter to Gaius. He was the courier who went to Gaius. He is someone, according to the elder, he is someone uh, who has good testimony and his testimony that it is, is it's so good that it is said that truth itself will attest for him. 
Meaning that whenever people talk about godly living, it will bring to mind Demetrius. Whenever people talk about loving one another, it will bring to mind Demetrius. The truth attests about Demetrius because he is so well known for it. But Gaius does not know Demetrius yet. He is receiving Demetrius for the first time. That is why John vouches for his career, Demetrius, because the man will be hosted by Gaius. So what could Gaius possibly learn or copy from Demetrius? Because we, he was told, imitate good. What could he learn from Demetrius? Well, nothing is said in the letter, but let me suggest one. I think of one. Since the major point of this entire letter is on hospitality to strangers, Demetrius might demonstrate for Gaius how guests ought to behave. You know, good guests, they save their hosts from a lot of trouble. Brings me to my last point. Demetrius is a trouble saver. You know, the Lord Jesus gave these instructions when he sent off his disciples to preach the kingdom. Next slide. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Now whatever house you enter, stay there. Stay there until you leave that town. So if Demetrius was a good testimony to obeying the commands of Jesus, because he was walking in the truth, he would probably arrive at Gaius' place, travel light. What does that mean? It means that he had no bag, no bread, no money, no donkey to feed, no extra clothes to wash, just John's letter, and a recommendation that is attached to it or included in it. He would have shown obedience and trust in the Lord that the Lord will provide his needs through the generosity of God's people. Because if he were to bring many things along, it would have been an insult to the host, saying that, oh, I don't trust for you to provide for me. That's why I lugged with me a big piece of luggage. But Demetrius will not only demonstrate trust, he would demonstrate contentment with what the God-appointed host will provide. The bread that the host will provide, the accommodation that the host would offer. Demetrius, he will not go scout for a more generous host. He will not go on a lookout for more decent lodging. Demetrius would enter Gaius' house, content himself to stay there, and stay there until it is time to leave town and so save his host from a lot of trouble. And that is imitating Christ our Lord. Christ who brought nothing with him to this world who survived on the offerings of the people, and who, before he left this world, blessed those who received him. And so the message to Gaius is, 
Consider Demetrius. Imitate him. Imitate good. Because when you do that, you imitate Christ. Now, I must tell you, when I read this, I recall an incident. My first day in Bible school. Um, um, because I realized that behaving as a godly guest is not very easy. So the first day I arrived at Bible school, I uh, arrived in the seminary's boarding house. It was New Year's Day, January 1. The office was closed, and so nobody could tell me which room I was assigned to. It was a holiday, so most rooms were locked except one. One which was occupied by a student who stank. So bad, before I entered the room, I could smell it. Later, I would find out that this student rarely took a bath. His clothes were not wash and wear, but it's wear and air dry. You know, wear, air dry, wear, air dry, wear, air dry. His bed did not have a bed sheet placed on top of it, so you can just imagine the color of the mattress. Can you already imagine how it looked like? Can you already imagine how it smelled like? So I arrived day one in seminary to this kind of accommodation? You know, for a moment, I was tempted to walk out and check myself into a hotel because I had with me a year's worth of living allowance that my sending church gave to me. So at that moment, I was tempted, very, very tempting, tempted to just walk out and check myself into a hotel. But I had to accept my God-appointed room for that evening. And thank God, the following day, I was transferred to my pre-assigned room. Was the Lord teaching me humility? Was the Lord teaching me contentment? Was the Lord teaching me perseverance, at least for one night? Well, all of them. And looking back, I thank God that I did not check myself into a hotel or else I will be known to my poor schoolmates. All of us were very poor. I will be known to them as the foreign student who stayed one night at Holiday Inn. Hello? Conclusion. If the elder were to write a similar letter today, would he write and commend you? Would he write and commend you? Because you are walking in the truth, as seen in the generosity, in the hospitality that you've shown to others. Or would he single you out, mention your name because you pursued preeminence? You wanted to always be the first. You pursued personal ambition to the detriment of the church. Would the elder testify of your humility and obedience, just like faithful Demetrius, who carried the apostle's letter? Friends, there is always trouble in the church. There is. But I pray that you and I will be trouble takers trouble savers and not be trouble makers.
to God's glory and for the good of his church. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we are not hospitable enough. We confess that we are not humble enough. We confess that we love to pursue personal ambition. Forgive us, we pray. Cause us to turn away from these sins so that we may be found walking in the truth. Help us to imitate your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the humble Son who did not want to be first but chose to be last so that we may be forgiven of sin, we may be granted new life and made your children. Empower us, we pray, so that our good deeds will shine among men and that you will get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We now come to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is um, a meal that is instituted by the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. This meal is open to all who have surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus.